Thanks, Ethan. Great horse. Is this your gum? <laughs> Good morning. Are you awake? Good morning. Good to see you this morning and good to be with you to share in worship. Uh, I am not uh, Scott Ogle, as Ethan disclaimed himself, but this is probably what he'll look like about 30 years from now. No. <laughs> nice kidding. God's already working I, because of uh, what he's laid on my heart to share with you and how it fits so well into what uh, has already been set in, in tone and in, in focus of our worship this morning. Thank you, Ethan, and praise team and choir. I would invite you to turn, if you want to, to Galatians, uh, to Romans 5, to Galatians 2, and Colossians 1. I'm going to read uh, some verses uh, uh, in my message, uh, and it may be hard for you to look them up, and I didn't have them put them on the screen, uh, so just listen, but uh, you'll, you'll be able to, you know them, they're all very familiar verses uh, as we share together. I know you have been praying for our uh, associational mission team that is going to Honduras uh, August 7 and 14. Kale is going with us and uh, glad for that. Let me add one prayer request uh, to that, a um, specific one. Uh, I don't even realize exactly when I did it, but yesterday afternoon messing around, I aggravated my back. Now, if you have a small team that's going to do physical labor, you don't need one to drop out. So not just for my comfort, but so that we can do what needs to be done. Pray that uh, I'll take care of it, God will take care of it, and uh, uh, I'll come back. And if I have to sit in the chair for a while after that, that's cool. But I uh, do want to do my part while we're there. Let's pray together. God, you're already at work. It doesn't start with me, and I'll try to get out of the way, so I won't hinder it in any way. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you have spoken to me, the way you're working in my life. And I thank you for the way it fits. Uh, if all that each of us has is Christ, we have all we need. Help us to understand that and to trust it as we look to you in these moments. In the name of Christ, amen. Suppose God should die tonight. Would it really make any difference to you in the way that you live your Christian life tomorrow? For all that you really truly count on him as you go through your daily life or even in your Christian service, would you even notice any difference? Would it make the slightest bit of difference next Sunday morning uh, in worship if God were to die tonight? Or would it be business as usual? Would the whole machine just kind of grind on with you in the pew or chair, Scott in the pulpit, to Ethan and the praise team leading in worship? Would anybody notice if nobody told them that God was dead? Now, there is a sense in which that question is obviously unnecessary and even ridiculously offensive, at least on this basis. We know God will not die, cannot die. He is eternal. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God was not created, so he cannot get weary or worn out. He cannot be destroyed by illness or injury or attack by us or anyone else. But in another sense, it is absolutely necessary, I think, and totally relevant and of critical importance uh, to, uh, to evaluate or, or to ask this question about our Christian living. And I want to encourage and help, and help you to examine and evaluate this essential and critical element in your faith life this morning. Do you truly, practically 
Trust God as you live your life in Him and to live your life in Him. Or do you just kind of settle for a weak, whining, I can't do it, that may result or often results in, I'm just a sorry servant, a disappointing child of God. Major Ian Thomas in his book, The Saving Life, encourages us to, that we can live in this way. And he helps us to discover why and how through the Apostle Paul. God working in the text, that the first text that I've selected, is, or that he selected, is the one that you have been memorizing from, Romans 5. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we continue, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That caused Paul to write to the Galatians, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in my earthly body, I live by trusting in the Son of God who loved me, loved me and gave himself for me. And then to the Colossians he wrote, This is the secret. Christ lives in you. Indeed, Christ is your life. Did you catch the, the remarkable secret to Paul's dynamic faith, his dynamite, powerful trust that made him the greatest missionary in Christian history and, and uh, uh, an author of much of our Bible, much more we will be saved by his life. Now, if you ask the average Christian what or who has saved them, they likely will answer the death of Christ. And Paul affirmed that. If we've been reconciled to God through his life, I mean through his death. But then he went on, much more, certainly, surely, we shall be saved by his life. But how? When and where? What does it mean to be saved by the life of Christ? His, his, I believe it means at least these things. His preserved life preserves your life for God. When you trust Jesus Christ to have died for sin, his death for sin becomes your death for sin. Your sin is taken away totally, permanently, eternally. And Paul said that when you have identified, you have united yourself totally with Jesus in death, you will be united totally with him in resurrection. You will be raised to life as he was. Jesus' resurrection then is God's promise, God's down payment that you will be resurrected. And in fact, in a spiritual sense, God has already done that. Listen to that awesome declaration. God is so rich in his mercy and love that he loved us so much that even before we were born, even after we were dead to him in sin and because of sin, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. He raised us from spiritual death and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. And we have united ourselves with Christ by trust in Him. In God's eyes then, everyone who trusts his, her life to Christ, to Christ keeping and use and control is preserved eternally. That's how much He values you and wants to live with you. And what He sees, He turns into reality. Jesus' preserved life preserves your life for God. Further, Jesus' prayer life connects you to God. 
24-7. God declared through the Apostle Paul that Jesus died and was raised to life and for us and that he is seated in the place of highest honor at the right hand of the Father. And do you know what he's doing? He's interceding for you, pleading for you, and all of those who are his. He goes up, Paul says that whenever you don't know what to say, when you don't know how to pray to him, his Holy Spirit in you prays for you in ways that are too deep for words. When you're attacked by whatever and whomever here on earth, Jesus pleads for you. And God showed his disciple John that when our adversary, Satan, accuses you before the Father God, Jesus intercedes. He intervenes. He is the advocate who pleads your case. The writer of the Hebrews said that praying for his disciples' servants indeed is the passion and the purpose of the resurrected Jesus. He lives to intercede for you. I love the way that Chuck Swindoll puts it. You are the constant prayer project of the greatest prayer who has ever lived. Is that not awesome? Is that not reassuring? How much stronger would our, your life and my life be if we stayed in touch with and trusted that moment by moment? His say, he saves you by his life as he lives in you and above you to connect you with God the Father. Further, his perfect life protects you from God, from his wrath on sin. On July 4th, uh, Southside Baptist Church, Pastor Odell Mosley made a statement about our nation that I think also applies to us as individuals. God is our greatest hope, but he's also our greatest threat. God's our greatest hope, but he's also our greatest threat. God raised Jesus from the dead that we might live new lives. And what did Jesus exchange or give for your sin and mine? He gave us his righteousness, his perfect relationship with God, his perfectness before God. Listen to the way it's stated by Paul in Colossians. Yet he, was, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, God has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, I don't know about you. But that literally blows me away. That I could stand before God and he would look upon me and see not a single fault. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Further, Christ is now your life. Not I, but Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives. Once you trust your life to Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Christ Jesus, his beloved son, who always said what his father told him to, who always did what pleased his father. But how can he do that when we're so imperfect in our practice and our living? Because earlier when God looked at his son on the cross, he saw you and me in all of our sins. Centuries ago, before uh, Jesus' cruci uh, crucifixion, King Hezekiah described the forgiveness that God had given to him in this way. You have cast all of my sin behind your back. Hear Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why have you turned your back on me? Because he was turning his back on your sin and on my sin. Putting it behind his back. That is what God did for us. That is what Jesus did for us. He did for us through Jesus. He took away God's wrath on our sin. God hid it in his son. Don't think that you can ever please God in your own righteousness, in your own effort. Don't think that you could ever endure or survive God's wrath on sin. Your only hope is that when he looks at you, he sees his son who pleases him always. And your only hope and mine is that God is at work through his son to will in us to will and to do his good pleasure. Which brings me to where I want to camp out for just a few moments. As his perfect life protects us from God's wrath, so we are saved by his life as his power-filled obedient or through his as he powerfully obeys God through you and me the eternal position of perfection that is ours by God's mercy and grace he empowers us to to practice to perfect if you will as we live our lives day by day if and when you trust God totally for to for forgiveness trust your life to Jesus Christ Jesus, his deliverer, comes to live within you. And even though your body and mind will die because of sin, his Holy Spirit that Christ sends gives life to our spirit to put us into a right relationship with God for eternity. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from death brings brings life to our dead bodies. And he will do that. Uh, He will bring life to our mortal, mortal bodies, that part of us that dies when we die. But he doesn't wait until eternity to bring life to our body. Day by day, he empowers us to put to death the passions and desires of our sinful nature. What Jesus put to death on the cross for eternity, his spirit puts us, puts to death and enables us to put to death in practice and conduct in our living on earth. And that is why we can live with his qualities and with his characters, not in our own power, but by his. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to experience the power, that mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead so that I might suffer with him. God has been working on me at this point for probably a year or so now. This point where his power in the very presence of his son is living through me. Or that's what he wants. Specifically as I let and depend upon Christ to live his life through me. Back in the spring, Dr. Ricky Zell, pastor at First Baptist Church, uh, Greer, worked through John 17 during prayer, some prayer meeting or prayer gatherings each week. You know that passage, most of you do, as the, one, the prayer that Jesus prayed for us on the night before he died. One Wednesday night he focused on the love that Jesus prayed that we would experience and that we would express in our living. And he went back to the beginning of that night and identified the ways that Jesus showed his love. 
He did so by, in his willingness to do for his disciples what they really would rather pay somebody to do rather than do themselves, literally wash their dirty feet. He commanded them to love in the way that he loved. And keep in mind, he died because he loved us. He command, or rather, he obeyed fully, uh, constantly to show his love for the Father. And he sacrificed even his life for another. It was his love that caused him to be hated by the world that, that, as he lived out that love. When he finished going over those, Dr. Ezell asked, how do you respond? And I wanted to cry out, help me, Jesus. I can't love like that. And that is true, I believe, in every area of Christian living, at every point of obedience. We can't do it. And we don't have to. For Jesus will do it for us. He will live his life through us if we allow and authorize him to. Ian Thomas' life was transformed by that truth. Ian lived most of his life in the first half of the last century. And boy, you think that sounds old. Remember, most of us lived part of our life in that last century also. He had respectable parents who carried him to church regularly. They taught him the Bible. But he didn't meet Christ through them. No, that came at a camp when he was 12 years old. At the age of 15, he was convicted that he should devote his whole life to God, to, to Jesus. And so he set out doing that with all of his might. He evangelized everyone he encountered everywhere. And he led many people to know Christ. He decided that God wanted him to be a missionary to Africa and to do so as a medical doctor. And yet, by the time he was 19 years old, Thomas was exhausted spiritually to the point that he felt that he could no longer go on. One night, he cried out to God in his confusion that he was utterly failing God. And that night, God responded by focusing Ian's mind and heart on five words. Christ, who is your life? Christ, who is your life? Ian said God revealed to him, Ian, for seven years with utmost sincerity, you have been trying to live for me the life that I have been waiting seven years to live through you. You have been, with utmost sincerity, you've been trying to live for me the life I've been waiting seven years to live through you. Ian came to understand that those who had introduced him to Jesus as Savior and Lord as well-meaning and, and, and to the best of their ability still had failed to help him understand that yes, Christ died for his sins and yes, Christ rose to live in him. God's path through for life took Thomas then to evangelism in a different way. He became a British military officer in World War II and served with distinction. He became a world-renowned Bible teacher and, and a conference leader, traveling more than 45,000 miles per year around the globe, helping others to know that God wants to live through them more than he wants them to live for him. He built his life on this truth. The one who calls you to lie, the life of righteousness, ministry, and witness is the one who by your consent and cooperation will live his righteousness, ministry, and witness through you.
the one who calls us to live righteously and to, in service and witness will, with our consent and cooperation, live that righteousness, ministry, and witness through us. Do you find it hard to live the Christian life? To live like Christ and for Christ? Stop trying. Listen to the liberating lesson that Thomas learned and teaches us. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ who is capable of living the Christian life. The only person whom God credits with or authorizes with the right to live that life is Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ claims the use of your body, your whole being, your, you, your complete personality, so that as you give yourself to Him through His eternal Spirit, He may give Himself to you through His eternal Spirit. That all of your activity as a human being here on earth may be His activity in and through you. Every step you take, every word you speak, everything you do, everything you are may be an expression of Christ in and through you. Not I, but Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in and through me, literally. How much do you, can Jesus Christ do for you? Everything. He's limited only by the measure of our availability to all that he makes available to us. If you trust your life to Christ, not only that his death, that he, that he died in order to redeem you, but also trust that his life, that he wants to live and waits to live through you, then the very next step you take will be in the very energy and power of God. Think about it. If you trust not only that he died to take away your sin, but he died, he rose to live in you. The very next step you take, and every step you take, will be in the very energy and power of God. If you were born again, all you need is what you have. And as we sang earlier, what you have is what he is. He, is not, he does not give you strength. He is your strength. He does not give you victory. He is your victory. You are not called to commit yourself to some ministry, some need, some task. You are called to commit yourself to God. And what the head of the body, the church, wants in every member of the body is restful availability. Prompt response, instant obedience to his heavenly impulse. Because you are resting in Him. You're not striving. You're not thinking, I've got to do this. I can't live this way. And yet I've got to keep trying. You rest instead in the fact that He's going to do it through you. He will live His life. Jesus died to take away your sin, to give you life with Him for eternity. He was raised to intercede for you now in eternity. He will return to take you with Him to live for eternity. But he was also raised from death to bring eternity to you right now. To live for you and through you the obedient, holy life that God desires of you and in you. Here on earth. Wouldn't you like to live like that? Wouldn't you like to live with such power and such freedom? Not struggling to do the right thing. Not struggling to be a Christian. But simply resting in Him and letting Him do it through you? How do you do that? Surrender. 
Our culture doesn't like that word and it doesn't like that concept. Surrender. Because it points uh, to losing something, giving up something. But surrender to Jesus is not giving up in resentful reluctance. I guess I have to do it if I'm going to get to heaven. It's not giving in in irresponsible abandonment. I, I can't do it. I, I, I'm just a human. It's not even giving, in, uh, giving up in despair. I can't do it. No, surrender is giving over yourself to Jesus. Giving over yourself to His absolute control. Your will, your mind, your imagination, your body, your fears, your dreads, your goals, your relationships. It is doing whatever it takes because you know that He can do a better job than you. Surrender is emptying yourself of everything standing between you and being totally available to God. Surrender is sacrificing what you have to know His filling, to know His power in your life. But, but even how can, how can we exercise that act of will? How can we do it? Perhaps stated more positively, by seizing, claiming God's promises. And here is where God has been working in my life, growing me. Simon Peter said, take courage in the fact that by, God's divine, by, the divine, by His divine power, God has given you everything you need to live a godly life through Jesus who called you through His own marvelous glory and excellence and through the great and precious promises that He has given that will enable you to share in Jesus' divine nature and to escape the world's corruption caused by the desires of the flesh. Therefore, Peter said, make every effort to respond, to simply claim the promises. Now, first of all, Simon Peter and I am not preaching a name it and claim it kind of approach. No, to claim God's promises that for godly living is simply to make yourself available to His power, to unleash Him to live in you and through you. First of all, you have to know what the promises are. And you don't do it simply by scripture memorization. It requires careful, prayerful, searching God's Word to identify the promises and then to study to understand them and, and, and how to, to apply them and when and where. God has placed in His Word whatever we need to live, live a godly life. And when you know what it is, then you know God wants you to do it in and through your life. And what He asks you to do, He promises you the power to do it through His Son. First of all, then, you have to know the promises, and then you have to trust them. You have to trust by telling Jesus to do it in your life. How? You don't have to say these words, but this is what you have to be doing in your spirit and in your heart and in your mind. I admit, Lord, that I cannot do it in my own power. But I want to. I want to be obedient. I want to please the Father. And so I ask and I authorize you to act in this way, to exercise the power through me to do what God wants me to do. It's not some magical way of manipulating God, but your spirit has to act with that attitude. Your heart has to act. Permit me a personal illustration. This all began for me in a chronic struggle to take control of my thought life. Time and again, I would fail until I came to the point of saying, I can't do it, Lord. Guard my heart and my mind. 
by which I permit, prevent my thought, those thoughts that would control and shape my actions into disobedient behavior. Now Paul writes to the Philippians that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind when you fill your mind with all kinds of positive ideas and information. But I can tell you in a moment of need, God honors his promise even if I haven't taken the time to put those noble and pure things into my mind. If I simply say, guard my heart and my mind, Jesus does it. And so I've been building a list and putting it in all the Bibles that I use. Not, not of scripture verses, though sometimes I'll record the, the reference. But I just simply list the principle in a phrase of three or four words. And you see I filled up one page and working on another. These are ways that God has showed me he wants me to live. And yet I have trouble doing it. But I built the list. Short phrases that capture the essence of God's directions and promises. And in a moment of need for one of those, I know how God wants me to live. And I don't command Christ to do it because I'm not in control of him, but I surrender to him by saying, Jesus, act in this way. For example, turn my eyes from worthless things. Live with integrity. Speak the truth in love. Give me understanding. Do the truth. I'm asking Jesus to do that through me and trusting that he will. And he does. Simply saying and praying the request, I claim the promise. I admit that I'm helpless. I admit my spiritual disability. And I ask and I authorize him to so act in me. And God is faithful to supply the power to obey to let Jesus live his life through me. I can tell you that I'm experiencing a joy and a strength and a confidence that I have not known in almost 60 years of walking with him as I'm learning to let him live his life through me. Not I, but Christ. I have been crucified with him. My life is hidden in you, Lord. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me. Christ is my life. Do I do it perfectly? No. I get frustrated when I try to do it myself. I get defeated when I'm just simply disobedient. But still he's faithful. He is willing to be my life as I let him. That's how I want to live because I believe that's how God wants me to live. I don't know the tune well enough to sing it, but in the spring I heard a song at Victor Baptist Church, and I was delighted to learn that the minister of music there, Crystal Caps, had written the lyrics and the music to this song in, as she was inspired by a sermon series that Pastor Ken Vickery was preaching. She wrote one, one verse after each song, uh, sermon. Listen to these words. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be the one he created me to be, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, may all who see my life find Christ in me. To live with boldness, to live with boldness, I trust the Lord his, to live his life through me. To live with boldness, to live with boldness, 
May all who see my life find Christ in me. To love the Father, to love each other. I pray his love will shine so all may see. To love the Father, to love each other. May all who see my life find Christ in me. My life is yours, Lord. I give it freely. I give my life whatever the cost may be. My life is yours, Lord. I give it freely. May all who see my life find Christ in me. Don't you want to live that way? There's only one way to do it. There's only one thing you can do. You won't ever live effectively and consistently enough to please and satisfy even yourself, much less God. What is the one thing? Just let Jesus live his life through you. Ask and authorize him to do it by claiming his promises. Jesus, you are my life. Live your life through me. And you will know God isn't dead. He'll give you the power to do what he's asked you to do. He will do it through you. Let's ask for strength to surrender. Lord Jesus, it is not easy. Selfishness, pride, and a culture of self-made life gets in our way. And Satan will exploit all of those to keep us from giving our lives over to you, claiming your promises that you have said will enable us to live godly lives. So we pray that you would make us stronger. We confess our weakness, our spiritual disability, and we ask you to fill us with the presence of Christ by your Spirit, who will take all that Christ gives him and give it to us, and we will learn that you have given it to Christ, that you are God who lives in us. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Christ is my life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's not an arrogant, pious claim. That's not a spiritual delusion. It is the way God has designed to work his redemption in your life. He has saved you by his death for eternity from sin. And he saves or wants to save you day by day in your life, living his life through you. How do you begin to experience it? Surrender. Give your life over. Your whole being, body, mind, soul, attitudes, relationships, give them over to Jesus through his eternal spirit and he will give you his presence through his spirit. It begins with trust. Trust that what Jesus did on the cross actually has taken away your sin and trust that he was raised to live in you until he returns to live with you for eternity. Admit that you've not lived that way. Turn from that old way of living and turn to Him and give Him access to your life daily. Let Him keep it, control it, and use it. Admit that you're not able to live that way, to live as God directs, but you want to. 
you want to please him. Ask and authorize him to live in you moment by moment. Have you been Christian, follower of Christ? Have you lived your life and or are you living your life mostly with frustration and defeat? Trying regularly and yet failing to live like Christ and for Christ? To please the Father God? Simon Peter said that there are believers who stumble about like blind people. They've even forgotten that they were forgiven because they have failed to claim the promises that God said will lead to godly living. Stop trying to do it yourself. You can't. Only, let, only Jesus can live his life. Only he can live it through you. Admit your spiritual disability. Ask and authorize him to take complete, constant control of your life. And don't expect that doing it maybe in this worship service or in one moment of inspiration will cover you forever because Satan is waiting at the door if he's not at the end of the road. It takes moment by moment release of your life and release of Christ in your life. Spend as much time as you need to learn the promises that he made that says you will live a godly life. And then in the moment of need, say, Jesus, live this for me. I can't do it, but I want to. I wait for you to live it through me. If that comes from your heart, you're going to experience God in a way I don't know that you ever have, unless you've done it before. Think about that and let God speak to you. Let him tell you what he'll do for you in Christ. And then respond to him. This time we just want to take some time to respond and reflect to the message. So as we sing through the first verse of this song, just reflect on what Dr. Blackman has brought to us this morning.
Dr. Blackman. Um, at this time, I'm going to ask Erskine, Erskine to come. He had an announcement to make before the service closes. Thank you, Ethan. Uh, thank you, Dr. Blackman. Uh, that was a uh, wonderful service, and I certainly appreciate that. Uh, one, as we're in this building and it looks around, it, you feel like it, everything's finished, but there's a, a report from our building committee, and as you exit today, uh, if you would, I believe the ushers are going to be back there. They're going to give you a handout. If you'd like to have one, if you take it home and read it and uh, give you an opportunity to see the few little loose ends that need to be tied up that our building committee is, uh, has information on for you. And uh, with that, I'll call on Mr. F.E. Hendricks for our closing prayer this morning. Father, we are grateful to be in your house today. We thank you for sending preachers to bring your message to us. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. You are so good to us, Father, and yet we are so undeserving. We thank you for all who came today, especially to those who visit with us. We pray that uh, they have received a blessing by being in your presence today. Go with us to our homes, Father, and bring us back for the Bible school commencement this evening. For it's in thy name we pray. Amen. Amen.